Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, there's children. You can release the children, K through six. Release the children. That sounds more like a threat when you say it like that. Um, all right. Wow, yeah, all right. Well, welcome. Thank you for being here, even though you heard I was coming. That's good. That's appropriate. Um, so I get the, the privilege of talking about uh, one of the, f I don't know if it's one of the few, but it seems like one of the few where we're intentionally very practical about the lesson for today because we're kind of in that New Year's phase. New Year's resolutions were just made, and now we're talking about uh, prayer. Today is about prayer. And you need to be kind of practical when you talk about prayer. Also some theory and some philosophical things that we'll be talking about today. But we're in the New Year's uh, phase, and so I asked my wife, we had the kind of serious talk, okay, what are your New Year's resolutions? And so I asked my wife, what are your New Year's resolutions? And she said, uh, actually, this is honestly her answer. I'm not making this up, and I'll give you my honest answer too. Her honest answer was, I want to pray more. I want to read my Bible more. I want, to, I want to pray with the kids more. We have four kids, and so she wanted to pray intentionally with them. I was like, wow, that's really awesome. Not what I was expecting. Because when she then asked me, what do you want? I was like, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to be able to do the splits. And I want to be able to do 100 push-ups. And she was like, cool. You know, like, obviously, we, we came to very different conclusions when we were making our, our mindsets were in different places. And so, honestly, as I was preparing for this message, I've known about it for a few weeks, as I've been preparing for it, uh, it has come to my realization that in my career or in my life, there has been a time where I was preaching on, an, on a regular basis. You know, when, you're, when it's your job to stand up in front of people every week and deliver messages, it, it, there's some pressure that comes with that. And, you know, Fern has to do it now, and many other pastors across the planet have to do that now. But we're talking 50 times a year. It is their job to come up here and deliver to you, hopefully something that impacts you, hopefully something that challenges you or teaches you something or brings fresh revelation to you in some manner. And that is not easy to do. And when you have that assignment, there's three ways that I came up with that you can do that. One, you can just make things up and lie. I mean, that's an option. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I have to be honest, when I was young, when I was 21, I became a youth pastor. And I was a youth pastor for about six years, and then I was like a leader of a church for a couple of years after that. And so, you know, eight years times 50 sermons a, a, a year, something like 200, right? So um, that was a joke. It was many more than like six, 600. Yeah, whatever. So I'd be lying if, if, if I was confident that there wasn't some place in there that I, was, I wasn't really sure if what I was delivering was, was real, especially in the younger years. But then as you go forward, you start to learn that another way you can deliver uh, God's truth to people, or maybe a way you can deliver God's truth to people, is by reading books. You can read books about Christian philosophers and the people that you can listen to podcasts and listen to sermons from other churches, and you, you receive God's word through those things, just like you hopefully are now. And so for a while I did that. I was reading as many books as I could. You know, my library was growing, and I was constantly feeding on that to be able to deliver something to the youth and then later to the adults. And then there's that third way. The third way is through prayer and, and scripture. And as you connect with God through prayer and through scripture, God speaks to you and, and God shows you where we are supposed to be going. 
And you know, that's, that's really where it gets pretty fun. And as I matured in my faith and in that vocation, I started to pray a lot more. And I started to understand a lot more where God was leading me in my ministry. And so it's a pretty cool thing. And so, again, as I'm preparing for this message, I realized, man, I've kind of fallen away from that over the past couple of years. I don't pray as much as I once was. And I feel like, for the first time as I'm giving this message, that uh, I, can, I can challenge you while also challenging myself. That as, as I go through this, you'll kind of see where I'm going with it. But the idea is that you should be praying for our church and asking God, what is our church doing? Where are we going? How are we supposed to be acting? It's not just Fern's job to stand up here and do that. And so maybe I've been relying too much on that from him and from the other leadership of Parkview. And I shouldn't be, and neither should you. And so I, we are going to get kind of practical today when, it, when talking about these things. But keep that in mind. There's a real challenge I'm laying before you and, and before myself that we need to be people of prayer. That's important. Because the degree that we want to show people God, to that degree we should be praying. I'll say that again. To the degree that we want to be showing people who God is, that's the degree that we should be praying. It doesn't just happen by accident. And Fern can't, can't minister to your coworkers and to your family. You're supposed to do that. We are supposed to be doing that. So today is not some lecture rebuke, except maybe to myself, but we're in this together, and so, so let's start moving forward. There's three things I'll kind of hit on quickly, and then we have a, a five-minute video we'll watch, and so it'll, it should be pretty fun. Uh, so number one, the first thing that we have to do, and this is my number one excuse, is we have to get rid of this everything is set mentality. You know, this idea that God's going to do what God's going to do, and uh, it doesn't really matter if I pray. It doesn't really matter if I give time to thinking that through because God knows and, you know, we, we play that game, don't we? And what it does is it becomes, maybe there's some biblical truth in there at some point, on some layer, that's true. But most of it is taken from this excuse, this laziness that we have. I don't want to sit down and go to a quiet place and pray. And so if I tell myself this, that it's just what God wants to do is going to happen, then I'm off the hook. I don't have to connect with God. But that creates separation. And so we have to get rid of that mentality. And so I have a few verses up here. If you want to look them up, please do. I'm going to go through them kind of quickly. So as you see the verses pop up here, no, that's your warning. I'm going to then jump into them pretty quickly. You can write them down on your bulletins. <laughs> Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, as it is working, or as the translation that Liz said a minute ago, is powerful and effective. Your prayers, my prayers, are powerful and effective. So we have no excuse to say, does it really matter if I pray? 
Hopefully none of you are thinking that, and so let's move on. Number two, we need to go beyond words. Too often, the examples that we have for ourselves in prayer are the things like up here. When Nevin was praying as, as I was walking up, as Liz was praying there, as, as Fern will or as any other leader will pray in a public setting, we do it with these words out loud, this petition for things to happen, and, and we start to believe that that is what prayer is. And there are many different types of prayer, and so that is one of them. Speaking out is, is a type of prayer, but that is not the only type of prayer. And I could go through and name them all, but that would cause for lack of clarity. So I'm going to stick with um, this idea. If we get to play a part, if our prayers are powerful and effective, if our prayer can change things here on earth, then we have a responsibility to pray. But... A normal human tendency is to compare ourselves with the people around us. And as we compare ourselves to the people around us and how they pray, we allow our ego to get involved, and then things start to happen, and it becomes about something else. And I'll give you what, Matthew, uh, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And I feel like that is something. How many sermons have you heard in your life about not comparing yourself to other people? Have you heard those sermons before? Yes, that's the most engagement I've seen. Yes, you're like, yes, I've heard that sermon before. And yet we still do it. And so I want to show you this video because this video kind of shows that it goes beyond just the church world and it goes beyond just what the Bible says about it and into like some research where people go, uh, even people that don't believe what the Bible has to say have to look at this research and go, oh man, we really do this. And so I'll let it speak for itself.
what you can see is that there is quite a wide range of native math ability among the kids entering the freshman uh, STEM programs at Harvard. Right? So what we would, so what do we see when we when we look at uh, the who ends up graduating with STEM degrees? What we see is that at Harvard College, the kids with in the top third, with the top third SAT scores, end up getting well over half of the STEM degrees, and the kids with the bottom scores end up getting very few STEM degrees. Those kids over there are dropping out like flies. Right? This would seem to suggest that our original hypothesis that persistence is a function of cognitive ability is true. This would also, we can also go further, we can say if this hypothesis is true, as we go to more and more selective institutions, we should see a very different pattern of persistence. We should see less kids dropping out because the kids are all smarter. Right? So let's go to Harvard. These numbers are a few years old, but at Harvard you can see that the bottom third of math SAT scores among kids doing science and math are equal to the top third at Hartwick. The dumb students at Harvard are as smart as the smart students at Hartwick. So you'd think everybody at Harvard should be getting a math and science degree, right? Why would they drop out? Everyone's so smart. What do we see? Oh dear. What we see is the exact same pattern at Harvard that we saw at Hartwick. The smart kids are, the top kids are getting all the degrees. The kids at the bottom aren't getting any degrees. They're dropping out like flies, right? Even though these kids are brilliant, right? So uh, what's happening? Well, clearly what we're seeing here is that uh, persistence in science and math is not simply a function of your cognitive ability. It's a function of your relative standing in your class. It's a function of your class rank, right? Those kids who are really, really brilliant don't get their math degree not because uh, that is a function of their IQ, but as a function of where they are in their class. And by the way, if you look at any college you want, you will always see, regardless of the level of cognitive ability among the students, you will always see the same pattern. The kids who get the science and math degrees are the ones in the top of their class, and the kids in the bottom of their class never do, but over that bottom third, um, uh, 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 the bottom third chart up there. So the name given for this phenomenon um, among psychologists is relative deprivation theory. And it describes this exceedingly robust phenomenon, uh, which says that as human beings, we do not form our self-assessments based on our standing in the world. We form our self-assessments based on our standing in, the, in our immediate circle, on those in the same boat as ourselves. And that exactly is a problem. Now, I have to point out, I work for ACT, so I'm, I shouldn't be showing you anything that has SAT scores on it. I'm going to get in trouble. Don't mention it. Um, but other than that, this, this is something that's true of all of us all over, not just with math and science, but also with prayer, also with public speaking, also with anything. We don't compare ourselves to reality. We compare ourselves to the people that we see around us. That is a huge spiritual issue. When we look at prayer as something that it is not, and so that's, this brings me to my next, my next point, but before I go there, a couple things I hit on this. Again, when we look at prayer as only this public thing that we do out loud with words, um, it hurts us. Because I'll tell you right now, Nevin is a better prayer than I am. 
And I, I get up here, and I'm supposed to pray every week for you guys. And I do, uh, several times uh, on, on a Sunday. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm not very good at this. You know, Fern is much better at praying. You know, when he does, he doesn't say the same few things every time. I feel like I'm always saying the same thing when I pray, you know. And I, I start to, com- to compare myself. But that doesn't make me stop. It doesn't make me not do it. And that's the key. Number two, uh, Kierkegaard said this in this book he wrote. It's a really cool book called Christian Discourse. And I'm just going to read it to you, a quote from this book. A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until, in the end, he realized that prayer is listening. This brings me back to what I was saying at the beginning. If we want to know where God is leading us, we're not going to figure it out by talking. We're going to figure that out by listening. Would you agree with that? Is that a difficult thing to understand? I don't feel like it is. And yet, it's not normal for us to pray by listening. So my third point, my final point, prayer is a learning process. When we realize this, it should be a great relief to us. It should be something that takes the pressure off because no one can be an expert in something that they haven't practiced, period. You cannot. You can have some natural gifts and graces about it, yes, but you cannot be an expert in something you have not practiced. It does not work that way. And so for you to say, I'm not as good as someone else at prayer, or I haven't figured that out, or it just doesn't work for me, is unacceptable. There's no point in comparing yourselves to the experts. There's this painter. Uh, I, I started painting about two years ago, and I love painting. It's really fun. And uh, it happens all the time where people say, oh, you're just so naturally good at it. You're naturally talented. No, it's not natural talent. It's something that I'm working at. I'm really, really hard. You don't see the, the really bad stuff that I do. You only see the good stuff I throw on Instagram. That's the stuff that's been worked on for 40 hours for this painting that's this big. You're like, well, you're so naturally. No, 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 no. There's this guy I follow on YouTube. His name is Cesar Santos. And Cesar was uh, a good painter, and so he went to school for painting, and he got really good. And he got so good at painting, so naturally good, and people always say that, so naturally good that he went to this, uh, this really prestigious school in Italy, specifically to learn to paint like the old masters, like the, the people that we, the Rembrandts and the Da Vinci's and the things that we see hanging up in museums. He learned from those teachers to paint like that style. And he does, and he's really fantastic. But the thing about this guy is, he, he graduated from that school faster than anyone else has ever graduated from that school. And the reason is because all he did the whole time he was there is paint. He didn't go and socialize. He didn't have a life. He didn't make friends. He just painted. He worked really hard. And isn't it funny that the people that work really hard are the ones with the most natural talent? Prayer is not a gift. Prayer is a discipline, a spiritual discipline that we have to work on. Just like worship is a discipline. You can sing. You can be the loudest singer. I don't know who it is over here, but there's usually someone over here that's a really loud singer. You're not as loud as me. I'm a very loud singer. I lo- You've heard me. Uh, when it gets up high, I belt that sucker out as loud as I can, and I love to sing loud. But singing is not worshiping. And some people know the difference. Some people don't. But we can worship while we're singing. 
but it's a discipline. We have to go beyond just singing the words. Prayer is a discipline. So how do we learn it? That's the right question. So here's a weird metaphor, and at some point this metaphor is going to break down horribly, and I apologize for when that happens because I will push it to that limit. But when the Wi-Fi goes out in your house, what do you do? Anyone want to volunteer an answer? What's the first thing you do? You hook it up, you, you plug it straight into the cable. You, Wi-Fi's out, because you're talking computer. Put the LAN. Reset the Wi-Fi, what else? Anyone else? Call someone else. You're like, hey, you're the Wi-Fi guy. I need help. What else? What else do you guys do? Do you have a process? What? You go to bed. You're like, it'll be ready in the morning. Somebody else will figure it out and fix it for me. Or it'll just magically fix itself. <laughs> That's good. I, I have a process. So, well, if my wife doesn't get to it first, she's usually more eager than I am to fix it. I'm usually like, yeah, I'll get to it in the morning or something. But I have a process. I unplug the modem. Then I unplug the uh, cord that attaches the modem to the router, and then I unplug the router, and then I unplug that cord, and then uh, I wait 30 seconds. Do you know the wait 30 seconds thing? Raise your hand if you understand what I say when I say wait 30 seconds. Somebody just wrote that down at some point and said, uh, you know, wait 30 seconds. And we treat it like it's biblical truth. <laughs> and it, I've never seen someone be so patient when counting. You ask anyone to count to 30, and they go, one, two, three, four, five. But when it's the router reset, it's 1,001. 1,002, 1,003. What do you think still has power? What are you waiting 30 seconds for? It blows my mind. But anyway, it's impressive. Uh, so you have the process, and then you go through the process, and when you check your Wi-Fi and it's still not working, you go, okay, still not working. So you reset your phone, or you reset your computer, and if it's still not working, you know, you have all these steps. You, you go to cell, you use your cell data on your phone, and you're Googling, what is going on with my, my router? What router number is it? And you look up specifically what router you have, what modem you have, and is anyone else in the area experiencing this issue? And you call your friends, or you call your grandkids, or you call the ISP, or you're writing the internet service provider an email that you can't send because you don't have internet, and you're so upset, and you're checking everything that you could possibly check because you want your Wi-Fi to work. So that is how we should be acting when our prayer isn't working. When our prayer doesn't work, we go, you know what, maybe prayer just doesn't work. You know, God's going to do what God's going to do. Maybe prayer never worked. Maybe God's not even there. And we start to challenge all of these beliefs. We don't bother going through a system of saying, maybe there's something in my life going on that I'm not addressing. Maybe I need to add patience. Maybe I need to add persistence, as Malcolm Gladwell was talking about. Persistence. Not just expecting to be an expert like everyone else on day one. Maybe I'm praying wrongly. We don't go to our phone and say, maybe that song was already on there. It was just going to play magically by itself. It was already on my phone. Wi-Fi doesn't exist. I can't see Wi-Fi. It doesn't exist. I don't believe in that anymore. I don't believe there's actual power in Wi-Fi. This modem never did anything. It just had flashing lights. We don't do that, but we do it with prayer. We do it with prayer. We walk away from it like it had no power, like it never did, because something didn't work. So what should we do? We should troubleshoot. 
Luke chapter 11, verse 1, uh, the disciples who are disciples, they've, they've been praying their whole lives, or most of it. They know how to pray. But they see Jesus pray, and they go, that is different. It works. And so they go to Jesus, and they say, now Jesus, this is verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us. And then Jesus does. Perhaps you're praying wrong. That's offensive, isn't it? In James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You, you're praying to spend it on your passions. You want to know a red flag? Is when everything seems to be centered around you. Now, there is a time to ask. There is a time to petition. But there is a time to listen. So what do we do? We ask for advice. We ask mentors. We ask our friends. We look it up on Google. Whatever you need to do, read a book about prayer. You troubleshoot the situation, and then you learn from it, and then you adjust and then you try again, and if that doesn't work, just like if my router doesn't work, I'm trying something else because the truth is I need my little things to be working. And as surely as you can know if your Wi-Fi is working, you can know if your prayer is working. I'll say that again so that Liz can write it down to put on the Instagram post later today. Take this picture. <laughs> as surely as you can know that your Wi-Fi is working, you can know if your prayer is working. It is not magic. It is prayer. Oh, I thought that was Liz walking in. I was going to pose again. It's all right. Now, I'm, I'll wrap up here. Kind of finish off with some, um, some practice. Some practical practice. I was going to start my sermon. You know, I always start by going, what can I do that's going to be weird? That's going to make them go, gosh, we should not ask Doug to preach anymore. You know, and I, my thought was, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to sit here. And this is honestly, I was, up, up until like yesterday, I was planning on this. I was going to sit down here and say, let's pray. And I was going to sit in silence for 10 minutes and allow us all to pray. And I thought that was a horrible idea. Eventually, I thought, no, you'll rebuke, uh, you'll, you'll revolt and you'll... You'll be like, that was a waste of time or something. Because I feel like a lot of us, we're out of practice. And so to, to set you up for 10 minutes of torture for some people would be unfair. So instead, I, I put it at the back here where we can have a little bit of time to pray. But I want to first, um, it's not like an exercise. It's not, but I feel like it's something that most people don't use when, in their prayer life. And so it may seem strange to some of you, but it's imagination. And the reason that word is scary is because we see it as like imaginary friends and I'm a, you know, we see it as something children do. Um, but imagination, breaking down the word, is you're turning your thoughts into images. That's all it is. And so for us to use imagination when we pray is actually pretty important uh, for us, especially when we're talking about this type of guidance prayer that I, that I mentioned before about who are we, where are we going, where is God leading us as a church, and I think if we have that type of um, uh, uh, picture, because we're visual beings, we're more set up to receive. When I say listen, 
And when Kierkegaard is talking about listening, he's not just talking about some audible voice. He's talking about receiving signal. Going a little too far on the Wi-Fi, but I'll stick with it. Receiving signal from God. And that can look like images in our heads. That can sound like a voice. Now, before I do this, I just want to throw out one little cautionary, again, another cautionary note. What we're doing is not manipulation. We're not asking God to um, do things for us. This isn't the if I win the lottery uh, imagination. What was it, 527? 527 million? Did anyone win? Did anyone know? I, don't tell me. I'm going to go buy a ticket. Okay, so uh, it's not that game. I love that game, but it's not that game. That's manipulation. We're asking God to give us millions of dollars. That's, eh, you know, it's manipulation. First, we have to receive. So for us to do this, um, I just want you to close your eyes. And if you're not comfortable with this, don't do it. But just close your eyes and be quiet. But close your eyes. And this is, this is truthfully a place I, I'm at where, um, when I'm praying for people. And so I want you to just, as you close your eyes, picture that you're sitting in a room, you're sitting in a chair, and across the room is Jesus sitting in a chair. And don't, don't worry about what Jesus looks like exactly, but just imagine Jesus is sitting across the room, and imagine next to you there is one of your friends, one of your kids, one of your, your spouse, your, uh, just an acquaintance, a family member that has the flu. Now, when we pray, it's not unusual for us to pray for God to heal people that are sick. But what I want you to do is, if you, can, if you really have someone in your mind that has the flu or is sick with something like that, just imagine what Jesus would do if he were going to come over and heal that person. And in my mind, I'm, just, I'm asking Jesus, will you heal this person as a flu? And just take one minute to imagine what Jesus would do. All right, you can open your eyes, you can um, just think about that. Now, that was prayer. That was us putting ourselves in a place where we were looking and we were asking a question, whether you realize it or not, what you did is you asked the question, Jesus, what do you want to do for my friend? For my child? And if you saw Jesus get up and come over, and touch and heal you were aligning yourself with him and that is what prayer is about <clears throat> the reason it's so important is because we're so visual and we start talking so much that our words become what our prayer is about and our, our, our words become our are talking at God. And there's a time for that, like I said. But when we sit and think, what would you have me do? What would you do, Jesus, for them? We're asking the right question. So now, I want to pray just for a moment. We have time. I want to pray about our church together, asking a similar question. So if you'll just take a moment to close your eyes and pray with me. In, in a similar way, Father, we want to imagine what this place looks like to you. Father, we want, show us what it would look like on a Sunday morning 
if we were all following your perfect plan for Parkview East Campus, if we were perfectly aligned, Father, with your plan, what would it look like in here? Who would be here? What would be going on before the service, Father? What would we be doing during the service? What expressions would be on our faces? What sounds would we hear? Would we hear laughter? What would be going on after the service? Amen. I feel like as we ask those questions, we're not leaving it up to just Fern or other leadership or your Bible study uh, leader or anyone else to tell us, though they will and they should, we're saying, I see it too. And that's so much more powerful than just hearing him speak to us, to see God show you and say, this is your part to play. Because it's too easy to come in here and say, give it to me, give it to me, from Fern. He's, he can only give so much. But for us to daily be meeting with, with the Father, the creator of the, the universe, and say, show me. What part do I play? What does this church look like if I am, am bought into the movement you have going on in Iowa City, Father? That is a powerful church. That is a church that is exciting to be a part of. And the only difference is where you came from, what your prayer life looked like. That's the difference. That is a powerful change. It is practical. It is not difficult. It is not a gift that some have and some don't. Once he shows us who he is and explains where we play a part, that's what we pray for. And in James, when he was saying, you're praying wrongly, it's because we didn't even listen for that in the first place. So we're praying for whatever the heck we think he might want, which may be our parents' influences, our world's influence, our Facebook friends' influence, whatever, whatever channels we're listening to the most, we, we project that onto God's plan for us. But when we start in a place of listening and receiving from God, then we know what to pray for. And that is our call this year, 2018. That is what we do. And do you know what happens next? Let's pray. Father, we lift you up today. And we set aside the excuses we've had in our lives, the excuses I have had in my life to put my prayer life on someone else's agenda other than my own. To put the responsibility of powerful prayer into someone else's hands. And Lord, I take it back. Father, give me the energy to follow through. Give me the ears to hear you. 
eyes to see you moving in our church, in my family, in this community. Father, we want to know your plan. We want to be a part of it, and we want to pray power into your plan. Not just show up once a week and see what happened. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.